Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. So I want to just make uh, explicit a theme that um, I heard each of you speak to uh, in terms of how we, where we begin with innovation, and that is around listening, right? So Sean, you talked about um, really drawing out people's stories in the community. And Terry, you talked about dwelling in the word and listening to scripture and, and stories. And Lorenzo, you talked about really getting that data, you know, to, to begin with those insights. Um, so I, I'm curious, for, you know, for whichever of you wants to take this on, but um, how might churches approach innovation in ways that really are outside in, right? So it's very easy within the church to say, okay, we got, we know we have to change things. And we're just going to sort of tweak what we're doing without really paying attention to both the neighbor as well as to the leadership of God in that process. So how might churches approach innovation outside in? Whoever wants to take a pass at that, jump in. I guess I will, since no one unclicked. Um, kind of following up, like um, Lorenzo was, was kind of talking about, let's, here's some ideas and we're going to go do this. Oftentimes us as churches, we go, oh, we think we know what the community needs and we do it. And we go, okay, like the skateboard park analogy is like, we're like, we, I saw this in Orange County, Florida, but does it work in Orange County, California? And oftentimes it won't. Or we try to buy all the programs that go on. We've all tried it. We tried lighting the candles and the coffee tables and stuff like that. We've all tried all the different things, but all our contexts are different. And we need to, and part of what, what I wrote about, what I spend a lot of time doing is how do we really exegete the community that's around us? How do we go out and how do we listen to what people actually need as opposed to doing different demographic reports and go, oh, okay, this is what they, I'm reading it and this is what they need. We, they need an after-school program when in actuality we haven't talked to anybody out there or spent time with different people. So a lot of what we need to do as a church as a whole, I think both of us really talked about about that is all, all three of us really talked about it is is that whole idea of listening to the community as opposed to saying i got the great idea but now we need to listen to what people do not just give them like okay and say i'm still going to do my own thing but really listen to what the community needs and how do we respond as the church a very practical way of doing that by the way sean is uh and i've done this i have if i were in my office i could show it to you i have a little sign that's on uh, like little uh one of those little acrylic things and i'll go and i'll sit in the coffee shop and it says i'm a priest want to talk and you'd be surprised how many people want to talk they just blah 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 blah. and the opportunity then to ask them like hey what's missing in our community what what would and and people particularly what's always interesting is when it and you don't have to be a priest to do this by the way you can you can you could also do an informal focus group and in the sense of just do interviews with people and be like, hey, you're about to walk into Starbucks. If I give you a, ten, a $5 gift card for Starbucks, can I just talk to ask you some questions and it, it won't take more than 10 minutes. It's like, hey, we're just doing a survey of the community. It's like, uh, do you go to church? Do you not go to church? What do you do on Sunday mornings? What choices are you making on Sunday mornings to do? If there was a church that was a different time, would that be something? You know, find out from others uh, and you're able to have a conversation with them. People will love to share Generally, if you have a if you have one of those little clipboards, people just give you assume that you are a very powerful person, and they will just like open up their lives and just talk to you all the time. And one other thing that I would add to that, Dwight, about how do we do it from the outside in is being focused on the goal. And this goes to the question that Leanne mentioned there at the end that somebody put in the chat. 
when was the last time the church asked these two questions? One, what is our goal as a church? If we, and there are many ways that we can go about this, right? And, but I think most of us would probably land somewhere around Matthew 28 for the Great Commission. We'd be like, hey, we're supposed to go out and make more disciples, right? For the reasons that you want to do them is it, we vary in all those things. But most of us will be like, we're called to make disciples. That's, that's sort of our business. Great. Now, question number two, is our entire structure set up to do that? Or is our entire structure set up to save the building and the organ and everything that we have in that structure? So is this the best way of making disciples? When was the last time that we asked that question of ourselves? Uh, and I'm not saying that we should go out and just tear down all the buildings, but I'm saying we should ask ourselves, is this the best way of doing what we're hoping to do? And we have to be open to listening without thinking we already know the answer. And that's hard for church people. It's hard for researchers in general. It's hard for seminary students, right? It's hard for professors. But I think that's the trick, right? That comes with that. Are we genuinely open to hearing what people have to say? Well, thanks. And I want to just, um, you know, maybe drill a little bit deeper into this question of what is the, the end toward which we are innovating? Like what's and this this picks up some of the conversation in the chat around this as well. Is it just saving the institution, or and you, uh, Lorenzo, you talk about the Great Commission? But um, but what what do you see the three of you as the primary challenges that actually need to be solved or addressed through innovation? And um, certainly, we could say fixing church decline might be one. But how how do you, each of you think about that? And Terry, do you want to start? We'll kind of go in reverse order, maybe. Sure. I think for me, that's why I added those pieces of like, what is our calling about stewarding this future witness? And for me, the three sets of practices are the three kind of parts. One, a life of faith. How do we connect with God? Like into that sacred space that transforms, that we hear God's grace and we, um, we are reminded uh, what beloved children we are. How do we connect with neighbors? Our call is not just to love God, but to love our neighbor. And I think we do that in two ways. Uh, one is I think we are called into community, right? We're called to live alongside each other and with each other in everyday life and to be that and to show up for each other. And we're called to serve. We're called to get the needs of our neighbors to have that all may uh, thrive and live abundantly. So for me, those three areas kind of highlight the three parts that I think are central to our calling. I would add to that. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's Find Your Why. And, uh, I, and I've actually done a webinar, uh, a, a presentation on how to do it for congregations, which just adds a lot more theological reflection to it. Because I think that every all of us can say like, yeah, we're all here to worship God within the Christian denominations, right? We're all here to followers of Jesus. But you walk into, even within the Episcopal Church, you walk into five Episcopal churches, you will get five very different ways of doing that. And that's their charism. That's the way that they, they live out that. And it's important that every sort of church, every congregation sort of know what makes you special? What is the thing that makes you St. Barnabas in, in Ohio? What is the thing that makes you whoever, whatever your congregation, there's a reason why people keep coming back there. And, and if you can find that out, there are others who are interested in that. And then it's a matter, you can, you can then tell people about that. So it, the example would be like, if you have a, a, an Italian restaurant and somebody really wants Mexican food, 
you can have the best Italian food, but they want Mexican food and they're going to go look for Mexican food somewhere else. So, but there are people who are looking for Italian food. So knowing what your charism is, is very important uh, to do that because that is what drives people to the church. And, and second to that, I think that we, we need to stop buying into the church is ending and, and we're all just, we're all just going to die, right? The, this thing, because then what we're witnessing to is, is a dying church. And I don't know that anybody would ever be excited to, to respond to a witness of death. You know, rather, we need to really be witnesses to the living Christ and to that in our communities. And I think that people will follow, will follow for that because then they'll be like, ooh, remember from Harry Metalli? I'll have what she's having, right? That, that's something that resonates with people. The struggle that people have are that the church feels like it's the relic of a past gone by, that the, that things have changed and you go to people and you go, they go, hey, I, I remember when it was a thousand members in here and now there's 15. And and Phil's Tickle talks about the great rummage sale that we're going through, that that this big upheaval of what the church is. And the as, as Lorenzo kind of talked about, is like we can try the, the church is always going to be there. It might not look like the way we have it. And to and to be saying it's okay. A lot of times, like I do, I talk to different churches and they're like, well, what about our church? How is it going to be? And when I was an associate pastor, it was like reaching out to the communities, like, when are they going to sit next to me? When are they going to be a tithing unit? I'm like, well, I don't know if that's what my job is to go into the community and try to make people Presbyterians to sit next to you and to be a tithing member, that we need to have a bigger vision, that we want to have a God vision of what it is, that we want to bring people to Christ, kind of like what Lorenzo kind of talks about. We want to bring people to Christ. It doesn't matter if they go to what church they go to, if they go to a Lutheran church, Episcopal church. I'm like, the thing is that we reached out and they began to understand the unending love Love and grace that God gives them. And I think that's the problem a lot of times is that we're trying to make people into our shape, our particular church shape of what ch particular church we're in, let alone denomination or, or whatever, as opposed to realizing that it doesn't matter, that I want people to know the God that I fall, that I've fallen in love with and that I serve. And I think that's where we need to recalibrate what it is. It's not the church is dying. It's not, it's maybe your particular church is having issues. But what we need to do is have a bigger mindset for what we're doing and what we're, who we're serving. Well, thanks. So, so in what, what's been being named, there's um, I wanted I wanted to say that there's it sounds like there's a big ask of people in some ways to let go of things that are very precious to them. And you know, it's one of the questions that one of you raised in the in the chat is around how do you help people uh, lead you know work through the grief right that's involved in letting go of some of these structures and habits and buildings and, and all of these things um and and i want to just invite each of you to speak a bit to the role of the holy spirit in that process like what kind of spiritual posture frees people both to take the risks you're describing and also to be able to uh, do the learning and to do the surrendering to to release their grip on perhaps structures, practices, habits, things that um, can't be carried forward in this new time. I guess I'll start this one just so that we can. <laughs> uh, 
you know, what came to mind as you were saying it is a uh, rich young ruler, right? The from, from the gospel and, and Jesus looked at him with love in, in Mark's gospel. He says, it's like, he's like, I have followed all the commandments. I've done everything right. Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Right. And, and we need to re recognize that all of these things that we're holding onto are not God. God is God. They may point to God. They may be that. And that takes spiritual maturity, right? That takes for us to be able, but it also, it's that loving care that Jesus talks about that recognizes this is hard. This isn't going to be easy for you to detach from, from the outcome of this. This isn't going to be easy for you to say like, all the things that I've always held on to, I now need to change. And that's hard. Being able to walk alongside with them saying, yeah, that's absolutely true. That is hard. But the Holy Spirit can help us through this. The Holy Spirit is here and there will be new insights. There will be the consolation that comes as we discover new ways that are new and that also are just as filling, maybe even a little bit more than the things we had been doing. But none of that will happen if we don't take that first step, that little leap of faith that says, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try, even if they're small things, right? And, and maybe the big change that someone can do just this coming Sunday is to sit in a different pew because that's how little change begins. Like, ooh, oh, look at this side of the church. The whole view is different. I see the altar from a hole. The chancel just looks totally different from here, right? And it is that's how we begin by just little by little, then eventually we're able to say like, yeah, God's in all of this and we just need to recognize that. I'm going to tell a quick story. Last weekend, we moved my father-in-law and mother-in-law into an adult living center. My mother-in-law has Alzheimer's and is fading quickly. And my father-in-law has not been willing to say it out loud, even as he sees it every day for a long time. And they should have done this a long time ago. And I just want to get angry. I just like, there's all kinds of feelings about if you would just do this, it would be so much better. Right. And many months ago, probably through prayer and the gift of the Holy spirit, um, it, the energy for me turned from trying to convince somebody else to change, to say, how can I create the conditions, name the things that are in front and let go and let the spirit do its work. I say that, and I think we're, many of us as church leaders feel so responsible to help say, this isn't working. This isn't working. Do you know if you went here, if we did this, it would be more life-giving. You, you know, there'd be resources. There'd be other ways to think. And the law, the, the more we hold it, the frust more frustrated I get and the more exhausted I get, as opposed to saying, how do I plant seeds? How do I do a little bit of this? How do I do a little of this? How do I point out the spirit's work among us? So I think for me, I have shifted through my own other parts of my life saying, what does it mean to accompany the church in creating the conditions for what is emerging through the work of the spirit? And that's a, that's a, an ever-changing question or a same question, ever-changing answer, but it helps me say, what's my role in, in putting in front of people a mere practices, opportunities to move into this new space? 
we think oftentimes as we're trying to do faithful innovation in a in a church, it's it's difficult because of the baggage that the church carries sometimes. Whether it was the contemporary worship team that was brought in for a traditional church and it totally crushed the church. And we don't talk about what happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but that feel, that baggage is still there that anytime we bring up change, they're like, well, 15, 20 years ago, you try to be bring a contemporary worship team in here. And even though the people are different, the leadership team is different, they still feel that pain. And so how do we get them to vision forward in the midst of some of the pain that they that they have that is unresolved, that grief? And so when we talk about appreciative inquiry and the proto-narrative, it's saying we're asking the core question of what is a Holy Spirit moment in this church that you experienced when you felt the Holy Spirit moving in this church? And to get them get them into this place of not looking back but what God has done already and then moving them forward. And in the whole idea of the appreciative inquiry is saying that you're building trust amongst people as the spirit is leading and interwoven into everything. It's not looking back to the past, but how can we come together and not saying there's backroom deals or whatever it is that's saying, this is what we're actually going to do. But you bring the shareholders of the church together and saying, this is what we want to do moving forward. So it's not a special committee, but it's a group of the whole where it builds trust. There's buy-in by different people. So the people that are still pointing back to that you wanted, you made it, wanted to make change 15 years ago are a part of this. And so that they feel that they're a part of something special, that the Holy Spirit is intertwined in all of that. And I think that's where the difficult part for ch churches is, is feeling the spirits, but also carrying the baggage of the past that so much is going on from the past that it overwhelms what is possible in the future. And that's where you need to depend on the Holy Spirit to bring everyone together and to be as open and transparent as possible. And a lot of it is a lot something that I connect an awful lot is from Jeremiah 29, seven, it says, also seek, seek the peace and prosperity of the seed to which they've carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for because if it prospers, you too will prosper. To connect the, the shalom is what the Greek is what the Greek the Hebrew word is is to connect our own personal completeness in God to that of the community that God has called us to. That it isn't some bad thing that's out there, but we are connected to our to the community that God's called us to, and that Holy Spirit connects us and moves us into some into a special place and moving forward. Thank you so much, Sean, and thanks to each of you. Obviously, this is a, a rich conversation that we could go on for many hours. We're almost at our time. Um, I do encourage you to read all of these three wonderful books.